text we'll be looking at is printed in your bulletin. We started a series uh, back in the early fall looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we are slowly but surely making our way through that, and this morning we're going to be covering the next in that series. We live in an age of great story, uh, is the way one writer described it, and in those stories are great heroes. Uh, just think with me for a minute. We recently were uh, at least able to view uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You had Frodo Baggins, an unsuspecting hero in the story as well. At Harry Potter, with Harry being certainly the hero of that story. We normally think of heroes as being towers of strength, or at least cunning and willing in all the endeavors that they're called to. After all, being strong is really what a hero is all about. It's really what counts. As we look at the Sermon on the Mount, what we find is something entirely different. It is one of the most well-known sections and probably the most un- misunderstood section, certainly in the te- from the teachings of Jesus. He gives us a glimpse of what a heroic life, a life that is to be envied and emulated, what it looks like. And what he does, he reshapes or turns upside down our ideas of strength. Look with me as I read from Matthew chapter 5. I'll read all 12 verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you'd be with us as you would teach us. We come from different places this morning. Some of us excited to be here, excited about what you're doing in our lives and in our world. Others of us, that described us at one time, but no longer. And still others of us confused about you, about who we are. And so we pray that you would teach us, you would meet us in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I remember growing up looking at magazines, and there was a constant advertisement that occurred in virtually every magazine uh, that I can at least remember growing up. And it basically showed this scene. It showed a guy on a beach uh, with his girlfriend. Now, in the advertisement, he was sickly would be the best description you could give of him. Uh, he was weak and skinny which, by the way, was what I was growing up, but maybe that's why I related to this. And the promise in the advertisement, there is this um, really strong beach guy who basically kicks sand in his face and runs off with his girlfriend. The advertisement goes something like this, and therefore you should buy our weight system. We can, with these certain supplements, we can turn you into a guy that kicks sand in someone's face and steals the girl. What we know is this, kingdoms rise and fall on power. The acquiring of power, the maintaining of power. What counts according to Jesus is not proficiency. What counts according to what this passage is reading is not even happiness. 
He gives us defining characteristics developed over a lifetime. Blessed in the Bible, some have said, means to be happy. Actually, that doesn't capture really even remotely close to the idea of what Jesus is trying to get at here. Specifically, what blessed means is what God thinks of them. The kind of person that we're to envy. And it's truly unexpected, especially when we come to the one this morning in verse 5. For Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Just so that you'll get the scene, Jesus has gone up on a mountainside. He's gathered his disciples around him. It parallels a very close parallel to Moses in the Old Testament. Here Jesus forming a new Israel, and he's giving them the nature of his kingdom. What is life to be like in his kingdom? Because just like us, they had expectations about what kingdoms were. And they had expectations about what life in this kind of kingdom, what it would mean and what it would look like. Their ideas really were materialistic and they were military. And Jesus comes along in the midst of all of their expectations and he says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. Exactly the opposite of our natural tendencies because we think blessed are the strong, blessed are the powerful, Blessed are the meek, for they will get nothing. They will be used and run over. What does Jesus mean when he comes along and he says, blessed are the meek? It's not a popular term. It's not even a term that we use uh, in this day and age. What it's not is not weakness. That's the popular notion that meekness equals weakness. We take this even further and we imagine a doormat. And whatever that means, it's not very attractive. It doesn't mean wishy-washy. Some have tried to define meekness as being power under control. Meekness is also not a natural, easygoing sort of personality. Again, these aren't personality traits at all. What meekness is, it has a completely different reference point. The sequence here, as we looked at last week, becomes increasingly more important. Because meekness comes after poverty and mourning, but it becomes before hunger. Last week we just noted poverty has to do with my assessment before God and others. Meekness has to do more with relationship. What do I mean? A Christian is somebody who knows who they are. Somebody who's not filled with their own sense of goodness and proficiency. Somebody who doesn't have it all together. Somebody who doesn't have their power under control, but instead is filled with their weakness, might be another way to put it. One writer said this, what Jesus is driving at is a readiness not to advance your own cause. A desire to see someone else's interest advanced. To put it negatively, it doesn't mean, or it can't mean, to claim someone's rights. To claim our rights, our position, our privilege. This is completely opposite of self-will, assertion, and one writer said even ambition. Would people describe you as an assertive person? And there are lots of ways we do this. Do you always have to get your way? Ultimately, do you have to win the day? And if you don't, will you sulk and pout and go home? Uh, kind of as our response. What Jesus is saying is his kingdom doesn't progress 
through organizing opposition, which would be just the opposite of meekness, by the way. It's become very popular, especially in Western Christianity, to think if we organize petition boycott, then we can have an impact. I want you to see how different that is than actually the picture that Jesus is painting here. One writer said this, Each man assumes that he is the center of the universe. Therefore, he relates poorly to the other six billion people who are laboring under the same delusion. What would this meekness look like if we put this into practice? First, it would have an upward dimension to it. There would be an amazement that God actually looks at me the way He does. That I can experience, not just think about or talk about, but I can actually experience His love and mercy. It would be a life filled with wonder that the God of the universe actually approves much more than that. He actually delights in me. One writer said this, I'm more sinful than I can imagine, but I'm more loved and admired than I can even dream. It boggles the mind and the imagination. It would have this upward sort of thrust to it, but it also would have this outward look as well. It would produce this deep humility, actually, if I really knew who I was. It's easy to be honest with God. It's one thing for me to note problems and failures in my life, for me to say, I'm such an impatient man, but it's something else for you to say that to me. If somebody says anything about you, immediately the defenses go up. How do we respond when people speak to us like that? Because you let somebody tell me that I'm an angry person and I want to bust their nose. Instead, meekness responds by saying, you know what, you're right. I really am an unloving person. Would you help me work on it? See, they're not destroyed. A meek person's not destroyed that others know what they instinctively already know is true. Um, it's not news to them. It's amazing that others think well of me or they treat me as well as they do. Because if they only knew, um, it, it produces this humility. But it also, in a very strange sort of way, produces a boldness. Why? I can pursue others. I'm not controlled or dominated by them. I'm not crushed by their assessment of me. And I'm also not driven by it. The problem with being a doormat is simply this. I'm willing to be walked on either because of fear or because I want your approval. What Jesus is painting here is a life without self-preoccupation. A life that's free not to have to guard what you see. A life that's beautiful and a life that's actually liberating. One of my professors in seminary used to tell us this quite frequently. Nothing anyone can say about you is as bad as the truth. story is told John Wesley once received a note that said this, The Lord has told me to tell you he doesn't need your book learning, your Greek or your Hebrew. John Wesley responded this way, Thank you, sir. Your letter was superfluous, however, as I already knew the Lord has no need for my book learning, as you put it. However, although the Lord has not directed me to say so, on my own responsibility, I would like to say to you that the Lord does not need your ignorance either. How do you respond to criticism? Or maybe a better question, do you actually seek it out uh, for somebody that would be honest with you about what they see? 
would you actually ask those around you? Or maybe better yet, would you, would you actually invite your spouse to do this? And if they did, how would you respond to that? See, how can this be? How can this actually be produced in our lives? The problem, in case you didn't notice, is actually given in the passage as well. It's the promise here is the big problem. Because this is what Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is an expansion, actually, of Psalm 37. Because the promise in the Old Testament was for a very small piece of land. Suddenly, Jesus here expands it to include the whole world. Song growing up said this, Everybody wants to rule the world. Nietzsche Phrase it this way, the most basic drive in, is in everyone is the will to power, desire to rule, even in our own little spheres. I want you to see Jesus is promising nothing less, actually, in this passage. Because if you have any kind of notion about meekness, what your response should be this, if I do this, who will take care of me? Because we know how the world works. The meek inherit nothing. What will I get? Because everybody ignores these people. Um, they get walked on. It's the tough, overbearing high D's that succeed, not these guys. Grab what you can. This is absolutely not practical in any sphere of life. What that tells us, especially if you're a Christian this morning, you live as if this promise is never made. Or at least that Jesus is kidding when he says this. That it can't be taken to be true. It's certainly not literal. I want you to notice sort of the terminology here is important. I want you to see the meek will not overpower. That's not what Jesus says. They will not overrun. They will not invade even. Instead, his promise is they will inherit. See, what Jesus is promising here is a gift. It's the nature of a gift. It's not a task to be performed, actually. Because the reality is this is found in the one telling the sermon, the one who actually gives this sermon to us. No greater example of meekness could be found. Jesus had every right to press his agenda, and yet he never claimed his own rights anywhere. Wrongly accused in a kangaroo court, he remains completely silent. Even when beaten, he doesn't say, this is wrong, stop it. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them. His inheritance, he was fully God. All of creation belonged to him. Yet, according to the story, according to what we read, he had no possessions. Now, why is that? He willingly surrendered eternal wealth, infinite possessions, unspeakable glory, that you might be his inheritance. Simply put, if you have him, you already have everything. In 50 billion trillion years into eternity, you and I will be singing that this beatitude is literally true. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning confessing that our thoughts are small. That your promises to us 
are insignificant in the in our lives and in our world, and yet you promise to the meek an inheritance that all of us here long for, that we strive for, that we give every ounce of energy and effort toward, and yet you give it to us freely. Maybe grasp hold of that this morning in order that those around us, those who encounter us, would see images Hints of our great Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.